Did you know that 70% of jobs come through your friend network? Did you know that most Americans haven't made a new friend in five years? Did you know, and I found this out in a recent article in Fast Company, that the biggest thing being lost through the distance learning right now are the people skills. And that's not just for the kids. That means you too. And if you don't want to fall behind, especially during this time of social isolation, come to the friendship event, December 4th through 6th. You can find it at www.thefriendshipevent.com. You'll find out everything you need to know there. It's a three-day live interactive event. We've got some live music coming. You'll get to meet some really cool people. But more than that, you'll learn everything you need to know about meeting and cultivating meaningful friendships. And with that, I have to ask you, what effect do you think your friends have on your mental health and well-being? It's a really big topic, especially right now before the holidays. Welcome to Friends on Hand, the podcast where we explore the fine art of friendship. I'm Nancy Hand, networking social confidence coach, and today we're talking with Dina Mitchell about receiving and giving friendship and what it means to your mental health. Dina Mitchell is an entrepreneur, mental health advocate, and co-author. She started her entrepreneurial journey at the ripe old age of 14. She holds a Bachelor of Architecture from Louisiana State University, Go Tigers, and has enjoyed a three-decade career in the hospitality industry. Y'all, you know she knows about friends. She's the president of the newly formed company, Genius Insanity. Her mission is to help entrepreneurs and business owners reach their potential and thrive with a focus on balance and career success as a holistic thing. In March of 2020, she also founded the Realize Foundation, which is dedicated to creating awareness around mental health, specifically depression, anxiety, and suicide ideation. And that's where we're going today right off the bat because... I really do think this is a timely topic. Thank you so much for joining us, Dina. Thank you, Nancy. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. Me too. Well, I have to ask a few questions before we get going into our topic. You and I, okay, first of all, we met in in a group full of really cool people, and I I noticed you right away. And since then, we've actually been on some panels together and that kind of thing. You are very friendly and open. And I have to ask, nature or nurture, did you arrive on earth that way or is this something you have learned to do? Oh my goodness. I definitely (laughs) learned. (laughs) Um, My mom was, my mom never meets a stranger and I was the shyest kid. (laughs) Um, Just a quick story is that when I was a year old, she started a nursery school because my dad wanted to go back to school and she didn't want to leave me with any anyone else. And so from year one, I was in an environment where my mom doing this business and I was there every day and I was learning the structure of school kind of like with classmates and teachers and rules and what you could do and what you couldn't do and those kinds of things. And so when I went to kindergarten, I had friends in the class that were calling me bossy. And I've Mm -hmm. recently realized that that really made me withdraw because I wanted to be liked and they didn't like me because I was bossy. And I think it was because of how young I was in those, in those situations with rules. And I'm a, I'm a rule follower. So I wanted everyone else to be a rule follower (laughs) and they didn't necessarily agree. (laughs) 
I'm the other kid on the side of the like, okay, y'all come do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the rule breaker over here. I was. That's, that's interesting. And it is interesting how much we get from our parents. So, so even with that, you've been able to find that balance. Well, when I was in high school, um, I remember I would go to school and I was, I was really shy, but I had this kind of mad face when I wasn't smiling. And so when <laughs> <a> name that. <laughs> I know I didn't, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> So it's good. I would go, I would, my mom would pick me up from school and I would say, well, so-and-so didn't talk to me today. And she would say, well, did you talk to them? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, you know, you, you can say hello first. And so I think when, when that all changed for me is I, I left Louisiana and went to Colorado state my freshman year of college. And I was forced to have to talk to people. And I pretty quickly became a social butterfly. And that's kind of where that all started. <laughs> nice. Nice. And it's such a beautiful place to be, especially after Louisiana. We, we see rocks for the first time. We're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the first time you saw clear running water, like in a stream or something? Yes. I'm addicted I it was, to that. The magical. That thing. Almost as good as seeing snow for the first time. Yes. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I so, have a great story about that. Actually, at Colorado State, my very first real friend that I met after high school was I met that summer, that semester. We are still friends to this day, and she is from Alaska. So uh, when I was there and it snowed, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing, and I was freezing. Mm-hmm. And she would go outside in shorts, and I was like, I just don't understand. You aren't cold. And she's like, no. And so it was this this very just juxtaposition between the two of us and how we had grown up in the environments. And so then I went to Alaska, actually, for a couple of summers to work at a resort with her. And, when, and I remember they had this huge thunderstorm one day. And it was a lightning. And, you know, in the mountains, that's not so normal. And mm-hmm. so all of the people there were like outside playing in the rain. And it's like thundering and lightning. <laughs> and I'm inside looking out the window going, what are you guys doing? You're going to get lightning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I, I will say this. 40 degrees in New Orleans is a lot colder than 20 degrees in Denver. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, It's a different kind of cold, the bone cold. So what does friendship mean to you? I think it it means um, security and compassion and um, I don't know if I have any other words. I think those are probably the two big ones for me. Okay. How do you know when someone is going to be a friend? Do you know? Like, like how long does it take you to kind of get a grip? Like, hmm, this one's a keeper. And what, <laughs> is it, what is it about them that, that leads you to that decision, usually? I think authenticity is what I'm drawn to, and I – I've learned recently that I have qualities of an empath and I think that I just feel, I feel people's emotions. And if somebody is, 
you know, all about taking the perfect selfie before they can talk to you. That's not my people. (laughs) If it's somebody who is just, they get emotional and their eyes are tearing up and, you know, like mine all the time when I talk to people and they, they are authentic in themselves and, and how they relate to you, then that's my people. Nice. Are there, are there things that deter you other than the selfie? (laughs) I think it's just the, the people who feel like they have, and it's, it's ironic that I'm about to say this, the people who think they have to show up a certain way for people to like them. Mm -hmm. And I say that's ironic because I've spent most of my life doing that. And, um, although I still think I was a pretty authentic person, but I just wasn't, I didn't share all of me to anyone because I didn't think it would be accepted. Oh, well, you just, as you were talking, had a a thought about that. You said something that triggered this thought was that, um, does that, does that mean that you have a tendency to back away from people who are also givers like you are? It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're talking about giving and receiving. And I think that, that if we're used to give, 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 giving, um, you're looking for someone who's going to be ready to receive. And if they're not, then what? That That is a really good um, analysis. I never thought of it that way. But I do feel like when when somebody wants to do something for me, I almost feel guilty. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to um, – I don't want – Sorry, my computer was going to sleep and I didn't want to do that. Um, I didn't, I think that I don't shy away necessarily from givers. I feel a connection with them a lot of times because we have the same thought process or the same feelings about things. Mm -hmm. But I do think that I look for people that need help and I feel, I feel more validated as a person when I'm helping other people that need me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that I've really dived into recently this year, because one of my friends from college who I've known, I mean, we were in college in the early nineties together mm-hmm. and she was one of the people who had been around in, in some of my really hard times in my late twenties. And so I had called her, to talk to her about some of that because I was trying to process some of it this year. And one thing she said to me just really struck me. And that was, she said, you know, Dina, in all the years we've been friends, we've, we haven't lived in the same place much. We've both moved quite a bit. And I was always in the hotel world, which is like a 24 seven thing. And she's still, she's an architect and she owns her own business now. And she said to me, you know, Tina, if, if I wanted to see you, I knew that I was going to have to come to you. And I knew that okay. you weren't going to make the time to come see me. And that really hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. But that's what our friends do. She didn't say it. She said it in a very loving way. It wasn't, it wasn't mean or anything like mm-hmm. that, but it was true. It was very true. And, it, and it's true about my family because I've moved so much. And it's like, I was always looking for people to help 
and I was looking for ways to succeed and prove myself. And so I didn't ever stop to think about, you know, what, what she was telling me. And I also think that I didn't think anyone missed me or cared. And that all goes back to the mental health journey that I've been on. You know, it's like you think that you're constantly proving yourself and you're out of sight, out of mind, and people don't think about you or care. And so that was a really big deal to me. And around the same time, I was going through some old boxes and I found old scrapbooks and stuff. And I found a scrapbook from when I worked in Alaska the first year. And it was it was about two years after I'd graduated from high school, but I was in college. And I have all these letters, like handwritten letters mm-hmm. in the scrapbook from all these friends of mine that wrote me when I was in Alaska. Oh, that is and so sweet. And I'm glad you kept them. Wow. I was like, Hell I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was crazy that I found that. And it's like, it, you know, Beth has a, a point because all of these people cared enough to write me. And some of them wrote me more than once. And, mm-hmm. and I don't enough to keep them. I'm pretty sure I did not write them back. I might have sent them a postcard or something. But yeah, it just makes you think about, you know, when someone's in front of me or I'm on the phone with somebody, they have 110% of me and I am totally authentic and there for them. But when I'm not in front of them, I'm not being a good friend. Wow. I, I love that you have had this discovery and I'm really glad you, you have a friend who is open enough with you and safe enough with you to show you blind spots. Yeah. That's a good friend right there. You know, and, and that's, I think that's, that is what the best friends will do. They will, they will show you, hold a mirror up and go, Hey, <laughs> yes. Hmm. You might want to look at this, <laughs> but coming back to the mental health thing, um, when you when you are in that space and you feel like you're you're out of sight, out of mind, how meaningful is it just to have somebody ping you randomly? Hey, thinking of you, you know. Hey, saw you know something blue today, and you popped into my mind, <laughs> or yeah, you know. You know, I was I was eating the best hamburger ever and you were you should have been here, you know, (laughs) and just just touch base without any reason, without anything. That's one of the things that I have a flag I'm waving a lot right now, especially just a lot of people are are timid to pick up the phone because they don't have anything to say. Nothing big going on. I say that's the best time. I think you brought up another thing for me with that comment because I feel like I am the one who does that, but maybe not for the people who have been my friends for years and years. It's for people that I meet that I know are struggling. And so I feel like I'm that person for them. I don't know that it happens to me as much, but it it does sometimes and it is really nice. Um, And a really perfect example of this is I, this past week, I've been trying to get back on my diet. And I know that when I crave junk food, 
I'm, you know, in a, in a state where I just need comfort. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I was struggling with myself the other day about driving to Chick-fil-A and getting food. (laughs) And I was like, I shouldn't go. I should just eat what I'm supposed to eat. And then I was like, no, I'm just going. And I went and I'm sitting in the drive-thru about to make my order. And this man walks up kind of towards my window and not in a threatening way, but he walks up and he has a gift card in his hand. And he's like, I'm with this guy over here in the wheelchair and they won't let us go in like they weren't in a car and they wouldn't let him walk through the drive through and they wouldn't let him go in to get food. And so he was asking me if I would make an order for them and get it for them. And so I said I would and I did. And when I got up to the the window, the credit card had expired. And I I mean, the, the Chick-fil-A, you know, gift card had expired. And I know that they didn't probably know that somebody probably gave it to them. I, you know, and at first I was a little annoyed mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because everybody's watching their money right now, you know, but at the same time, I was like, Dean, you just need to just, it's okay. So I paid for it. I brought them the food. I had a amazing conversation with this man and mm-hmm. he has so much. I'm probably going to get emotional talking about this, but Mm. that day I was feeling so bad about myself and about the situation I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I, I sat there thinking, I am so blessed. And this man has nothing. And I'm sitting here upset about my situation And before I left, he prayed for me. Mm -hmm. So it was like God made me go there to get food so I could meet him. And Mm -hmm. he, he kept asking me to write down his phone number because he felt so bad that he, that the gift card was expired and that he couldn't give me the money. And I was like, don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. And he begged me to write down his number and I did. And I really struggled with if I should text him and give him my information because it's somebody I don't know. And I did. And I started, I texted him something really positive that night. And he wrote me this long text back about how much it meant to him and how much he needed more people like me in his life. And He's texted me a few times since then, and it just, you know, I've been trying to help people in those situations with mental health and with suicide prevention, and it's like, this is why I'm on earth. And so, but that day, it was really more about what he made me see about myself, Mm -hmm. and it was crazy. So. I don't know if that story goes with your topic, but I just felt like I'm supposed to share it. Well, those are the those are the connections that actually make us feel like we are part of a wider world and something more. And it's not you, you won't always or usually ever find that with your close friends. It's the it's the strangers we talk to. Mm-hmm. It's the it's those conversations that that you have with the barista that or the clerk at the grocery store or the person checking you in at the plane 
those are the connections. Those are the, the interactions that make us feel like we are part of the world, if that makes any sense. We're, yeah. we're multi-layer people, but I noticed, I noticed that I had clients coming to me feeling hollow, even though they had really great networks. And I was like, me, kind of me too. Right. <laughs> like, huh. mm-hmm. And I got a big network and, um, and then my brother sent me that article. It was like Wall Street Journal or something. And, and it was all about those casual, seemingly meaningless passing interactions. The how do you do when you're walking your, your dogs or, you know, we're talking less than a minute conversations. But those are the water cooler conversations that make us feel connected. And it's an interesting thing because um, that was the first I'd really taken notice of it. And I've made a real effort to get to know people when I'm walking around the neighborhood. Somebody's out, it's game on. (laughs) I'm like, I'm waving, I'm introducing myself. But it's not just for me, it's for them too. Most people don't know that they're missing that. They just have the feeling of disconnect. Mm -hmm. So I I really, I'm I'm digesting everything you just said, (laughs) processing it. And I will say this, you mentioned that you're, you're more likely to make those phone calls to um, the new people you meet. And that's the, I've heard recently and somebody in my group said uh, friendship was not having, like friendship was being able to go for long periods of time and then everything's just like it was before when you connect again. Yes. And to that, I nod and say yes and those are the the friendships that tend to get neglected. Don't think that if I mean you can you can not water a tree for a really really long time, but you can't not water a tree forever. And uh, I would just take this opportunity to to say to you and everybody listening, touch base with those perennial friends. We all have a few oak trees in our forest, but they need love too. Be a tree hugger, ha. Huh. That's great. That's a great analogy. Thank you. You know, it's, it's, everybody wants to nurture the seed, but remember, remember the trees in your garden too. And the garden metaphor works totally. So you said you had some good stories around this. And I really would like to talk about what, um, mental health wise, how friends can be a balancing force and uh, well-being force, especially in light of A, the holidays, and B, uh, we have a plague in play right now. So how, how do you see this all working out? And how can friends be supportive to their other friends who might not be the ones who raise their hand and say, hey, I need help? Right. Because they don't want to be a burden and they don't want to put anybody out. Mm-hmm. How do you approach those people? What do you do? Well, I think that I've been working a lot on the foundation and around this subject. And I think that um, we're about to do a bunch of panel discussions that are going to be free and public um, over the next six months. But fabulous. my theory is that there are thousands of organizations in the world that are trying to help with suicide prevention and they are targeting the people who struggle and targeting the people who have diagnoses in the mental health arena. 
and they're targeting the healthcare sector of mental health and they're targeting lobbyists and insurance, you know, trying to get insurance to cover more stuff. And don't get me wrong. All of that stuff is good, but we have started a save a life challenge that is all about the education and awareness of the friends and family of people struggling because wonderful in my specific case, I survived a suicide attempt in 1997 and I did not speak of it even hardly to myself for 23 years. Mm. And during those years, I never even knew that some of these organizations existed. Like I didn't (laughs) understand. Bless you. (laughs) Sorry, I I thought I muted it. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. Um, Oh, well, that was authentic. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Um, I didn't understand that you could get help any other way than just going to a counselor. You know, like I didn't understand any of it and I definitely wasn't looking for it. So now I think it's a little easier with social media and um, the government has put in place the number 988 you know, kind of like 911, but now it's for mental health. Oh, I didn't know about that. But I'm not sure if it's live yet, but it should be, it should be either already live or very soon. Um, And that's something that the Congress and the House had, had put forth this, or it might, they might've even started it last year before COVID, but I think it's a really good thing and it's just getting the word out. But, you know, my, my, my strong feeling about this is that if there would have been people around me that talked about mental health, I probably would have gotten help a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. But because I didn't think, you know, you when you're in that place, you think you're all alone. You think no one cares. You think no one understands. And it's not necessarily true, but it's what our brain tricks us to believe. Mm-hmm. And and in the worst case scenario, it tricks us to believe that no one would miss us if we were gone. And that is so opposite of true. <sighs> um, and so, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people who have lost someone in their life to suicide. And I've lost I lost a close friend last year, which is part of my passion about this. But, you know, if, if we would have an open conversation, people wouldn't get to that point, in my opinion, because if they feel like the people around them are educated and aware and it's okay to talk about it and we reduce the stigma, then we reduce the statistics because then people feel more comfortable sharing what they're dealing with. And since I came out, you know, six months ago with this story of my life, there are a lot of people in my life who have not said a word, not talked to me. And I know that it's because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't know what to say. They think, you know, whatever, whatever they think, they might think, well, um, 
you know, some people think suicide is selfish, for example, but it's because they've never experienced the pain that people are in when they make that decision. And so, you know, just trying to get my husband to understand depression in the last six months has been hard. And he's even open to learning and understanding and reads everything I send him, but he still doesn't understand what it feels like. And so the more we can educate the general humanity of what these people feel and go through, and there's a large percentage of people. I mean, it's it's 50 to 58% of entrepreneurs deal with mental health issues. So, wow. you know, it's, it's a wow. large percentage of our population of people yeah. who are dealing with something like this. And if the people around them don't understand, no one talks about it, it exacerbates it. Um, and I think the worst, the worst moment for me and all my research the last few months has been I joined a few private Facebook groups so I could just understand what people were putting out there and what people were saying. And, and um, I'm in, in groups with people who are suicidal and in groups with people who are people who have lost a family member or a spouse or somebody like that. And there was a person that was telling, telling the group that they were, they didn't want to live and they didn't think they could talk to their parents. I have no idea how old this person was, what city they were in, nothing. But they were saying that they didn't want to live and they didn't know they couldn't talk to their parents because they wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what happened to that person because in these Facebook groups, you have no way to help people, which is another pet peeve of mine. It's like we have to be able to talk about it openly. But there are thousands and thousands of people that are talking about their feelings in these private groups where no one knows who they are and no one knows where they are, how to help them. So if we don't bring that conversation to the public, and to be open and honest with our own friends and family. That's why we're going to keep losing people that we care about. I have two questions um, from that. One of them is, um, do you think that the overall level of distraction, and we are all distracted, mm-hmm. how much does that have to do with the perception of no one would miss me if I were gone? I think it's it's huge. I think that suicide rates this year are going to be double what they were last year. And I, I don't have any any research to prove that, but I'm just saying it's going to be astronomically higher. And there there are some reports that just came out last month saying that the suicide rates had actually reduced, I don't know how, by how much, in 2019. But this year, yeah. they're going to be through the roof. Well, I've, I've actually been looking into this um, separately because I've been studying friendships and looking at the decline in friendships. At, at one point, I was like, well, what's been going up? So we've been losing our friendships. We've dropped from an average of three confidants to two since the late 1980s. And that, that statistic is actually from 2004. So it could be more now. We could be down to one confidant now. Um but I was thinking, well, that's a pretty the serious drop if it's a third. What's been going up? Well, suicide, loneliness, and hate groups. 
um, to name to name three things. And um, that being that feeling of being cut off. My other question for you is, I I don't know as much about suicide as obviously you do, but um, as I would like to, how much how often does it happen out of the blue? And for people who aren't versed in knowing the signs. How do you get that word out? Because my guess is there are opportunities to open a dialogue well ahead of that major decision being made, right? That mom or dad or friends or somebody could notice something. Hey, <laughs> let's let's talk about this before it gets too far gone so that they can have that intervention. Right. Are there I- subtle early signs is my question, I guess. I think sometimes there are and sometimes they're not. I think that some people say their loved ones seemed fine and happy and everything was normal and then they were gone. And Do you then think that's I, the case or the loved ones just aren't paying attention? I I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the, other, the the thing is I can I can tell you what I know about what I've learned about myself is that I was withdrawn since I was like five and I didn't like to talk about things and I was shy. And my mom even took me to a counselor when I was a teenager three times and I wouldn't speak to them. And my mom and I've been talking a lot about this lately. And, and she said to me, she's like, I never understood why it was so hard for you to talk about things. And I think it's a combination of me being embarrassed and shameful about not really understanding how I felt. Um, And I think from what I've learned recently is that I had some empath qualities where there were times where I was probably around a lot of people and I was taking on other people's emotions, which made me even more confused because I didn't understand what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And so I think if, you know, and, and my mom forcing me to talk to her wouldn't have helped me, <laughs> you know, so I, you know, there's a lot of experts out there that can answer these questions way better than me. But I think that, you know, just if you feel like somebody doesn't feel like doing anything, they're not sleeping well, you know, their, their sleep patterns are different than normal. They're, drinking or smoking or whatever more than normal. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about just having the conversation and they may not want to have the conversation, but I think that the more that we can have the conversation just in general, even if we don't think anything is wrong, then when something is wrong, it's much easier to talk about. And the other thing I've learned lately is that addiction is directly tied to pain. So whether someone has pain from a depression or anxiety standpoint, or whether they have like chronic physical pain or, you know, some type of trauma in their life, that is all tied to addiction, no matter what the addiction is. And that's something that opened my eyes about my younger self and alcohol, you know, Mm -hmm. I think after my attempt, I continued to drink heavily and I didn't really care if I lived. And I woke up one morning 
in my car on the side of the road and I didn't know where I was. And that day I said, I have to do something because not because I cared about myself, but because I cared that I was driving and I didn't remember. And I was so scared that I would hurt someone else. And so I got home that day and I, I just made a decision to change things. And so I think sometimes it takes something like that to, to jog us out of whatever pain or whatever addiction or whatever is going on with us. Yeah. But an interrupt for sure. Right. But again, if we have people around us who are regularly having these conversations and we're, we have someone that we can talk to about it, we wouldn't get to that point. Maybe. I mean, maybe we yeah. still would, but it would, it would be a lot better chance of us getting help because in my specific situation and from what I've researched, it's a very high percentage of people who decide to end their life. It is not planned. It is a very last minute decision. Wow. I didn't know that either. Do you think that having, having earlier, earlier, um, I get, I want to say lessons, but earlier training on understanding emotions for kids, like, and I think that they're probably doing that now, don't have kids, so not sure. But well, teaching, teaching how to identify them and know what, you know, what does, you know, what does love feel like? What does regret feel like? What, you know, hurt, what, you know, what are the flavors of hurt and why? And just actually knowing what's going on with that have been helpful. I absolutely think that that would be helpful. And I, I think it's, it's a matter of how you do it because I think the kids today are just not getting real world information, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't even want to get on that subject, but no, we could talk for days. About yeah, that. I have. I have a whole. I have a whole soapbox yeah. around nonverbal cues. Oh, don't you get me started? They can't read emotions anymore on faces. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but like my mom and I have been talking about this too because she's an early childhood educator and husband mm. her whole life, and so she's actually writing a book for preschool age kids that talks about the difference between happy and sad. And the whole purpose of this is to have this book released to sell through our foundation so we can raise money for the foundation. But she feels really called to do that. And so um, I'm really excited about it. She's written most of it, but I haven't read it yet. We're working on trying to get somebody to illustrate it, but she has some really good ideas about it. So I'm super excited. And I think that, I think that it's true. If we had those conversations like really young, yeah, yeah, then nobody would grow up thinking there was a stigma or that it was not okay to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And that I, I think I, we may be entering into a time when people give kids more credit in their ability to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I, when I grew up in a, a time when it was like, suck it up, buttercup, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So if you could go back in time, get in your time machine back to any Dina that's ever been before and give her a nugget of awesomeness advice, what would that be? And how old would you be? I'm just curious. 
Wow. I need to think about that for a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's really what's been the hardest for me, and I think my parents, is that I grew up in a super awesome, loving family. Like, I was, my parents, my mom had her own business. My dad had a corporate job. You know, I had a little brother. We had a nice house. We had, you know, we were very blessed. We had, I mean, we weren't like millionaires, but we had everything we needed on a regular basis. And I was very involved in sports and dance and all these things. And I think that you know, it's, it's hard to look back because a lot of people who've dealt with some things I've dealt with in my life had something in their childhood that was some kind of trauma to, for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that. So it's really hard to understand sometimes for me, like, where did this even all come from? <laughs> um, yeah. But I would say that I think I would probably go back to the beginning of my career in restaurants and hotels Mm -hmm. and, and tell myself that I don't have to prove myself to everyone and that I need to take better care of myself. Oh, that's good advice. Because that's two things I did not understand probably until this year and I'm 50. (laughs) (laughs) right there with you, hon. (laughs) That's good advice though. That is great advice. So you do have some things coming up. Can you tell us a little bit more about those and where, where the listener, our listeners can find out more information if they would like to follow you and, um, get, get in on some of this great, great, um, information you're putting out there. Absolutely. So, um, the first thing I would say is our foundation. It's it's realizefoundation.org. Mm-hmm. And that is where you can subscribe to our website. We do send out emails, not a lot of emails, but we'll send out emails when something's happening. And then we're on all me- social media platforms. Um, we have a YouTube channel we're trying to build up. We have mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I'm forgetting something. Um okay. LinkedIn LinkedIn is is big for me. Um, So we're in all those places for the foundation. And we post, you know, we post a lot of things that we think are helpful. Um, But we're about to start a series for our Save a Life Challenge that is going to be all about suicide prevention. And it's going to be panels like the first one we're going to do is about veterans because Mm -hmm. we lose well, so many. Right, oh my gosh. Right now, people say we lose 22 veterans a day to suicide. Oh but there's a lady who's doing some research right now who's saying That's the numbers up. The, the numbers are much bigger because of the reporting. And like if somebody dies by overdose, they don't categorize it as suicide. So there's a lot of technicalities that are that are coming to light that make that number probably a lot bigger than it is. So, right. but, but we're going to have panels for suicide. We're going to have a panel for parents and we're going to have a panel for youth 
I don't know. I say youth because I don't want to put an age on it. Um, but we're going to do something around that. We're also going to do something around first responders and around, um, oh, shoot, I'm blanking on the last one. Um, anyway, we're going to be Those doing first responders are, I'm sure, frayed and frayed and frayed around the edges. It has been such an incredible pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming on to Friends on Hand to chat with me. Um, if if someone is looking to reach out to a friend that that may that they suspect is feeling isolated, what would be the best way for them to do that? I think I would, I mean, me personally, I would reach out to them and just say, you know, I know this is a really hard time for a lot of people and I just wanted to check in on you and see how you're doing. Maybe we can have a conversation because I think you don't want to push them to, Mm -hmm. um, to withdraw more, but you just want them to know that you're there and that you will listen and that you understand. I love it. Well, awesome. And for our listeners, if any of this resonated with you and you yearn to have deeper and more meaningful friendships and to be a better friend and have more supportive professional networks, it is all about connection. Reach out to me and connect with me at nancytiltonhand.com. I would love to support you in learning how to network like a natural. And remember, friendships make you smarter, happier, healthier, stronger, wealthier, not to mention being absolutely fun, fulfilling, and joyful. So get out there and make a new friend. And remember to go register for the friendship event, December 4th through 6th. It's going to blow you away and you're going to walk away with some mastery skills. You will walk into 2021 with some good buddies. And with that, we are out. I'll see y'all next time. Thank you, Dina. Thank you.